This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash freelancership. All right. Well, uh, welcome everybody who's listening. The question's there. And it is... Huge time zone differences. Just started working with a client who's 12 hours ahead. Would love to hear if Reuven has any horror stories or tips on this, especially in regards to balancing availability between local clients and global communication delays, setting any expectations. Well, Reuven's not here. So have you dealt with this much? People who are significantly off from you time zone wise? Yes, in a couple of cases. And the two different cases are trying to set up coaching with people who are uh, in New Zealand, which is, a, it's a 12 or 14 hours difference from where I am in the US. And it actually basically, it's kind of a deal breaker for me. The person who was interested in doing it was okay with, you know, doing late night, you know, on, on their end, it was like, you know, if we did 11 in the morning here, it was like 1am there, but it really made it complicated to rearrange the schedule and that sort of thing. So uh, I know it's not the kind of relationship that uh, the person who asked the question is probably talking about. But the other type of situation I've had is working with external dev shops. So when I'm doing, you know, acting CTO type of consulting, retainer consulting for a customer who's got a bunch of ongoing software projects, a lot of times those are outsourced and I'm managing the external developers. And so we've had developers in London and Croatia and the customers in Cayman Islands and Miami and other developers in Colorado. So the time zone is just all over the place. Mm -hmm. The only way to really handle it is to, you know, like the person asked about setting expectations that everybody just is religious about using an asynchronous project management system or communications channel. So in my case, it was always Basecamp where people could log questions and that sort of thing in Basecamp. And you just really rarely have a chance to have there's like so little overlap to have, have an actual synchronous phone call that what we would do when we really needed to do that is we would fly there. So we would pretty much once a month with that particular case, we would fly, have like a full day of meetings, maybe two days of meetings, depending on how intense the development schedule was. And uh, especially when we were coming up to a big deadline, we'd get there and we'd just answer as many questions as we could and hash through as much of that stuff all in person as we could. And it kind of forces everyone, it's kind of cool because it gets everybody into the same time zone. And so you can have like an eight hour meeting. Even if we said, oh, let's block out a day to do this. If we're all in our respective time zones, that day is going to hit our life at a very weird spot. And people would be so distracted and trying to juggle family stuff and all that. I mean, that worked for us. It's obviously a huge pain to fly to a location once a month to deal with that because you get jet lag and everything else. But uh, it did work. It was very effective. You could get so much stuff done in those meetings that it would cover you for a month and you mm-hmm. could take care of everything else in Basecamp or Slack or whatever you use. Yeah, I've got a little bit of experience with this too. I've worked for clients in Hong Kong and I've worked for clients in uh, Germany. And as a full-time employee, I actually worked with a team in India. And that was as part of a larger corporation. And they had a team there that we just had to interface with. I'll, I'll start with the least recent and work my way up. Um, so with the full-time job, I mean, we would either show up at 6.30 in the morning or we would stay after till 6 or 7 at night because they were 12 and a half hours difference between Utah and India. 
And uh, I'm not completely sure why that's a half hour on there, but whatever. So we would just do that. And then the nice thing about it was that we could say, okay, you guys need to do this stuff for us. And then we'd come back the next morning and it would be done. So there is that. But the flip side was, was that we were handing down requirements more often than we were getting them. And so it's a little bit different. The client that I worked for from Hong Kong, he just made sure that his times accommodated mine. And so it really didn't throw things off too much for me. I think he had a full-time job at the time anyway. And so it was actually more convenient for him to just get on. I don't remember if it was early morning or late in the evening for him, but he would just get on and make it happen. Then the rest of the communication happened through a system like Basecamp, uh, like Jonathan said. And then the last one in Germany, they, they actually had several contractors here in the United States. But yeah, we occasionally had to hop on calls and things at weird times. And uh, it's just the way that it was. As long as it's not too often and too out of sync for me, a lot of times, you know, it's not a big deal. Okay, I have to get on a call at seven instead of at eight or nine, which is convenient for me. My kids are already up and going to school. So getting on at seven just means that my wife has to do a little bit more in the morning. But it really just depends on your client. I have heard of people who, you know, routinely work with groups of people who are a significant number of hours off from them. And yeah, you just have to accommodate them by working those weird times where it's either right before or right after, and then just make it work. Yeah. I had a friend who was a lawyer that worked with people in, I think it was Prague. And it was so, it was far enough ahead that if uh, he often had to like leave a social engagement where he couldn't actually, you know, have a few martinis or whatever. And he'd be like, Oh, you know, yeah, just water for me. I'm going to be, I have to go have a a call and he was sort of a high powered lawyer tip guy. So like you said, it's okay if it's once in a while, I think, but if you can avoid baking that into your schedule, it's probably good from the standpoint of like long-term burnout because it starts to pull you. It's like working third shift almost, which I've done in the past. And it just wears you down. It turns you into a different, it separates you from the rest of society, which is not a good thing to have to do for a long period of time, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing is, is it, I mean, what we're talking about here is the same problem. I think we talk about probably half the time and that's communication. And so what it boils down to is the time you spend communicating through a project management system where you can have a time delay on it or Slack, where again, you can have a time delay on it sometimes, or whether or not you're getting clear enough communication to where you actually have to do the call. And then when that call actually has to occur. And so as much as you can, if you can put systems in place to help people give you the right information the first time or to where you can get clarification without having to make that call at a weird time and without getting held up because you don't know what you're supposed to be doing next and it's going to take eight hours for them to reply. So you just have to be hyper vigilant on your communication. And, you know, I think you can avoid a lot of this. Holly, the person who asked it, actually said, thanks guys. It sounds like I have to get them into a project management system. And I would say absolutely. Yes. I've got one last tip on the communication angle, which is I find myself uh, in the past, especially when I was doing more development, I would find that I was more productive after everybody had gone to bed since I work from home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those types of tasks take some deep focus, maybe four hours of really digging into a problem and, you know, working your way through it, testing it, debugging it, at least first pass of debugging. And, you know, it could be some pretty complicated front-end JavaScript stuff that I have to test across like six devices and a bunch of different browsers on each one. And what I would do once I got it nailed down 
you know, obviously nobody's awake, right? You know, probably, mm-hmm. probably nobody else on the team's awake. And while it was still fresh in my mind, what I would do is record a screencast of me walking through the thing that I had just finished, just completed, how it was supposed to work, how I thought it was supposed to work, what the expectations are of it working properly are. So then the people who were going to test it the next day, so either the client or the client's test people, they would know what I saw. And so there wouldn't be this, you know, them logging a bunch of bugs and me saying, no, that's expected behavior. You know, I could do that one screencast and so easy. They take like maybe five minutes. Even if you did four hours of work, the screencast will take you five minutes max. And I just use ScreenFlow, turn it on, press record. I just walk through the changes that I made. Sometimes I'll find a bug then because I'm thoroughly walking through it and be like, fix the bug, go back, record a new screencast. (laughs) Then I'm sure that they know what I think it's supposed to do. So if there's some miscommunication on the scope or something like that, it'll be revealed right then. And the other thing they can do is once they have that video, they can share it around with a bunch of other people. So it's kind of like a design review call that nobody has to jump on. And it's very easily shareable and other people can use it. And uh, I'm surprised I don't see more people doing this. It's really great when you've got that sort of either if you're working weird hours or if the people that you're working with are in a different time zone. It's super helpful. Cuts to the chase. Yep. If you don't want to spring for uh, ScreenFlow, I think it's $100 or something. There is a really cheap version called Jing, Jing Jing.com. I think it's free. I'm not sure. If it's not free, it's really cheap. But it's for really quick screencasts. So if you were talking like five, maybe 10 minutes. But usually that's enough to at least demo the core of whatever you're working on. And that that's a super uh, way to go just to make that communication. I guess the word I'm looking for is just make it as clear as possible, as unambiguous as possible, because yes. they can actually see what you see. Totally unambiguous. Un- well, <laughs> unambiguous. But yeah. And then just the other thing that I've done in the past is I've actually sent emails like every day that I've gotten work done. And, you know, not necessarily recorded a screencast, but just said, hey, here's the list of the things I got done. And that way they have some idea of the progress that's being made. And then, you know, we don't have to do a big, long call to check in. You know, they can just, you know, fire back with whatever they're concerned about. Yeah, another cool thing is if you're storing your stuff in GitHub, you can have your commit messages pushed straight to Basecamp. So you, if you use, if you are aware of that, you can use really clear commit messages and people can see immediately that, oh, this thing was done, this thing was done, this thing was done. That's nice too. All right. Uh, it doesn't look like we have any other questions being asked. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what you've got going on lately, Jonathan? Sure. Yeah. I just got back from Double Your Freelancing Conference, which was in Norfolk, Virginia. It was organized by Brennan Dunn of Double Your Everything fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so obviously he's probably pretty well known in the freelancer community. And it was uh, it was an excellent conference. It's it looks like they're going to do it again next year. It was a big success. So people should keep their eyes peeled for that. They're you know releasing videos of it so you can check it out. So anything that I talk about here, you'll be able to find out about uh, later. But it was amazing. It was the it was probably I, I my sort of takeaway from it was I think in in 10 years, I'll look back on that conference and say that was a turning point because it was, uh, I, I'd, I've probably done a hundred conferences, but usually it's for web developers and web designers and they're people that have, you know, convinced their boss to send them to this conference and everybody's there and they're talking about skills. So usually when I make a presentation, it's about, you know, how to do this or how to do that mm-hmm. and, you know, how to make uh, an iOS app with PhoneGap or how to use JavaScript to further your career. No, not even. It's like how to use JavaScript to make a responsive website, things like that. But this one was a bunch of people who spent their own money 
on plane tickets and hotels and conference tickets to sit around uh, with some people who were sort of a little bit farther down the road than they were and talk about making their business better. And there were oh, just, geez, I talked to, um, you know, of course I talked to software developers, web developers, web designers, photographers, ghostwriters, copywriters. People, wow. Yeah. Translate German to English. I mean, just a really wide range of types of freelancers. And the vibe was so much different than uh, a typical like web developer conference, like, you know, web directors. I, I love all those guys, but it was just such a different feel. It was people who were there they weren't thinking about skills. They were thinking about their mindset, really. They were thinking about their mm -hmm. business, not how to do their job, but how to make their business better. And it was really wild. And there were a bunch of, a lot of the, the reactions that I saw on Twitter and from people that I, I met in person, it was all about them changing their mindset. So the, the talks that really resonated were, with people were not the, not the how to do the, you know, how to automate your sales funnel, let's say. Kurt Elster did a great talk on how to do that. And Moshka Marsh did a great talk on how to use social media without being a jerk. And that's all super important information. But the stuff that really clicked with the audience was just to change the way you think about your business mm -hmm. and stop thinking of yourself as a pair of hands that does what they're told and start thinking of yourself as an expert, which a lot of people have a hard time saying, yes, I'm an expert on this. And I, I can understand that. Maybe you, you know, you're not the worldwide expert on soap making or whatever your deal is, but you probably know a lot more than a ton of people. In fact, you probably know a lot more about it than 90% of the people on the planet, even if you know just a couple things. So, okay, maybe the word expert is strong, but you need to think of yourself as having valuable information that you not only can share with your audience, but almost have an obligation to share. If you do something like, I don't know, uh, what's an example? You integrate Stripe with Gravity Forms. And mm -hmm. people struggle with this all the time. And you've got this solution that is super affordable super plug and play. And if people just knew about it, they could stop all this suffering that they're going through, spending tons of money by, you know, trying to find a custom developer, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you have this value to offer to people who are experiencing a specific pain. You kind of owe it to them to let them know about it. And so it's kind of like flips the script on sales. It's, it's like, no, I'm not trying to like, you know, stick my foot in your door and butt into your house. Like I'm selling you a vacuum cleaner that you don't need. You know, if somebody has a problem that you solve in a really affordable way, it's not sales in that gross way. It's more like thinking about your business in a different way and thinking about the value that you offer and finding the people who stand to benefit from it the most. Once that clicks with you, then you're going to need all of the other techniques. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to automate your sales funnel. You're going to want to know how to use Twitter without annoying people and all of that other stuff. It's all important. But if you don't do that first thing, which is change your mindset, the rest of the stuff is not going to work. Yeah, I really love the thoughts about seeing that what you have has value. And so instead of thinking about how do I get somebody to pay me, what you're thinking about is how do I change the way that they do their business so that it saves them thousands of dollars. And the side note is, is I get paid somewhat less than that thousands of dollars. So I, you know, it makes or saves them five grand and I make two grand. Mm-hmm. Obviously, then what you're offering is an immense value. It's not just, uh, hey, you can pay me to do this work. Right. Yeah, there are a bunch of other mindsets like that. And I don't think they get explicitly called out at MicroConf because I went to MicroConf in May, mm -hmm. April, May, one of those. 
And there was a lot of tactical stuff that it sounds like there really wasn't a ton of at Double Your Freelancing. But at the same time, it all stemmed from that mindset stuff. And if you were watching, I mean, that's really what they were telling you was think about it this way. And then you're going to go find, you know, that you have these tactical needs that will enable you to work better and smarter and serve your customers better because you're thinking about it better. Exactly. Yeah, you need it all, but you yeah. got to keep with the cart before the horse. And unfortunately, I think the mindset one for a lot of people is basically I had two kinds of reactions. One were you know, people like you just blew my mind. And like those people got it. Like all of a sudden it clicked and they'll never be able to see their business the old way again. Like I ruined it. Uh (laughs) They're the new way. They switched to the new way. And then there were people who were like, but how do I, you know, and they're sort of focused on, they're maybe a little bit nervous about, my talk was about the path to value-based fees, like how to stop doing hourly billing and start do value pricing. Uh-huh. And a lot of people get hung up on the specifics of it and they can't let the switch flip in their brain until they understand the specifics. So it's almost, I don't know if it's like two different kinds of learners or people that are in different places in their business. Maybe some have more experience than others, but you can see that certain people, it just makes sense. And other people, it's it's like they need to be a little bit more explanation and maybe you have to come at it from the tactical stuff for them to, for the light to go on for them. It's wild. You know, people just learn so differently. Yep. I think that until you figure out how to get that light bulb to go on, it's going to be really hard for people to benefit from, from something like value pricing because they end up doing fixed bids and they place the bid too low and then they get burned because the scope creeps all over the place because they never had a value conversation in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. It's like this snowball effect that really started at the very beginning of the relationship with the customer where they kind of got off on the wrong foot and you know they have a hard time closing deals and people are trying to nickel and dime them and, and haggle the quote and work them down. And it's wild. It's, I don't know, I, my head has just exploded from it. Like, like DOF Conf was, was just... I mean, I connected with so many people. It was ridiculous. I'm like still drowning in emails from, you know, Friday that I met probably 20 people that I could remember my name and another 10 that I never got their name in the first place. And so just like emailing back and forth to follow up and connect them with other people, et cetera, et cetera. It was a really good conference. That just sounds great. I'm going to ask a question since we don't have any questions for the Q&A. And that is, it sounds like, in your case and in my case too with uh, microconf um, you know some of these realizations came because we kind of got away we got to a conference we met up with a bunch of people who were talking and thinking about this stuff and that's where those connections were made but I recognize that some freelancers may be struggling or may have other obligations that make it really hard for them to travel and to attend mm-hmm. conferences so if that's not an option for them, is there a way for them to get these benefits without having to go to a conference like Double Your Freelancing Rate or MicroConf or one of these others? Yeah, you know, it's expensive to go to. You've got the, you know, the client work that you can't do while you're there and, you know, the flight and the hotel and the tickets. And yeah, it, it yeah. costs a lot of money, um, no doubt about it. But, you know, there are a bunch of other ways that aren't as good, but are drastically less expensive or free. Let's say that, you know, in this case, there are going to be videos after the fact. I think Brennan's selling them for ninety nine bucks for two mm-hmm. days worth of videos. So if you went to the if you went to the conference page and you looked at the speakers, uh, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but it's certainly true for me. You could just search on YouTube for other talks I've done because there are videos, and it's going to be a mix of things. It's not all freelancer stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but that is certainly one place where you can at least get the uh, the input. You can't ask questions, obviously, but you can get the input and get the data. Podcasts like this one or other, you know, you could say, all right, to use me as an example, you could just Google for Jonathan Stark podcast and you're going to get like 20 podcasts, including this one and others, where I've talked about the same sort of stuff that I talked about at this particular conference. And then you can try and engage with people. You know, if they're too busy, they'll say no. Or if they send somebody an email, tweet at them. If you just have a really quick question about something really specific, they'll probably answer. I probably answer if somebody, but here's the thing. Don't give me the whole backstory. If you're going to email me, don't write a book with me anyway. You don't have to just be like, you know, polite intro sentence. Uh, listen, I've got this one simple question for you. Just ask me the question. I don't want to hear your whole life story. Just ask me the question. I'll answer it. And if I need to ask you a follow-up question before I can answer it, I'll do that over email. But if I get an email that's like a thousand words, I'm just going to delete it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to read it. Even if I archive it, I'm never going to come back to it. It's too much. So just send really, really brief, specific questions to people. And I almost guarantee they will answer you if you do it like that. I just want to jump in on that. I'm in the same place in the same boat. I mean, I reply to pretty much everybody who emails me, but I will admit that, yeah, the ones where I get like a 10 page novella, (laughs) what winds up happening is, is it'll stay in my inbox in the, I really want to get back to this and I'll never get back to it. And it's not because I don't want to answer. And it's not because I'm even filtering consciously my email. It's just, oh, I don't have time to read this. I'll get to it later. Oh, I don't have time to read this. I'll get to it later. And eventually later, later, later. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's been two months. I'm a little embarrassed to answer this now. And then I archive it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's exactly it. You just start to feel bad. And then you're like, and then you're never going to answer it. Yep. So just ask one question. If you have a follow-up question, ask that one later. But, you know, a long one like that is not good. You know, I know that a lot of the people, myself included, if you need something more in-depth than that and something a little bit more real-time, pretty much everybody offers some version of like paid phone calls. And if they don't, you can just suggest that and be like, Hey, could it pay to jump on a Skype call? It's not hard to do, you know, somebody just PayPal it. And if it's worth that much to you, it's a heck of a lot less expensive and time consuming than flying to a conference. And you get, you know, direct one-on-one attention, which is cool too. I've done it in the past. I can remember setting up a phone call with Paul Boag when I was getting ready to start doing podcasting from uh, Boag world. And I got on with Paul and Marcus and talked about, you know, this and that. And, you know, it was great. And it and it established a relationship. We ended up meeting at a conference where we were both speaking. And I, they ended up having me on the show a couple of times. So it's not a bad way to start a relationship either. You know, there's tons of value there. Well, and I was going to say that that's a good substitute for the... Because there are two parts of the conference, right? There are the talks. And yeah. a lot of times you can either go and watch them online or pay for access to them in the case of double your freelancing rate. But there's the social aspect too. And in a lot of cases, yeah, exactly what you're saying, where you can pay somebody for their time. Or sometimes people just, you know, it's like, hey, I got a couple of questions and I was wondering if you could do a 10-minute call or 15-minute call. Some people do that. You know, the other thing is, is go find the Slack channels that have all these people in them. I can tell you that there's a Slack channel that I'm in that Jonathan and Eric are both in. And I think we all joined it independent of each other, more or less. And... Mm -hmm. You know, it's got a whole bunch of other people who are kind of in the situation that we're in with our businesses, running our businesses and interacting. So those are out there. Email lists, same kind of thing, you know, get involved, be yourself, get to know people, have those conversations. I think that can open up some possibilities in your mind. And then if you find a group of people that you can get together with on a regular basis as a mastermind group, I can't tell you how helpful that's been for me. 
yeah, in having a, a mastermind group. But find these places where the people who are having these conversations go to socialize mm-hmm. and get in there and then have the conversations. You can start them. You can get in to, for example, the water cooler chat that uh, Jonathan and I are both in on Slack. You can get in there and ask questions and well, what about this? And I saw this and I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. You know, those start really fascinating conversations. And if anything, people are going to be grateful that you chimed in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's usually, it seems, especially in that one, it's almost like every single person has one amazing area of expertise or experience. Uh-huh. You know, like there's one guy who has a podcast that's in the top 20 on iTunes. Yep. There's another guy who's made, I mean, I'm going to say a million bucks selling classes online. And it's just the list goes on. Everybody in there has some really unique expertise. You know, I, there's, it's endless. In fact, there's so many people in there that are like that, that I can barely even keep track of it. Yep. So masterminds are huge. I, I don't think you mentioned Facebook groups, but that's been another really yes. good one for me. And a lot of them are public or are just really easy to get into. You can find them really easily and just request an invite and boom, you're in. And, you know, meetups in your local mm-hmm. area. If there's a meetup in your area that, you, you know, that seems like uh, good for that, then go for it. And if not, start one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing is, is that, I mean, I have a meetup now that I do every Thursday. I've talked about it before um, where we just get together and do co-working and so we're all just working on different stuff, but we're all kind of there hanging together uh, on Thursdays. But I actually met one or two people just going to the cafe and, you know, I'd see them because the, the place that I go, there are like three booths down this hallway back to the kitchen and bathrooms. And they're a little quieter. They're a little more private. You don't have as many people walking around you. And so the people who go there to work wind up sitting back there because, it you know, it's just a nicer area to be in. And so you see the same person the last three times you've gone there, you know, so it's like, so, hey, I've seen you here a few times. What are you working on? And, you know, you meet some really fascinating people that way. Um, If you're also looking for some business advice, then here in Salt Lake, there are two startup incubators and they actually have uh, meetups when they're trying to recruit their next cohort. And so they'll have entrepreneurs from the local area come and speak about some aspect of running a business or starting a product or whatever. And so a lot of those are great. And then afterward, I mean, they just stick around for as long as they want for networking. And what they're hoping is that you as the business person or you as the technical person, because one of them is a technology startup incubator, will get together and go after an idea and submit your idea to the startup incubator. But you can totally meet other people who are like you there and start having the conversations that we're talking about here and kind of level up where you're at just because you're in a place where people tend to have those conversations and be thinking about those things, even if you're not going to directly participate in the startup incubator. Yes, even we in tiny Providence, Rhode Island have a startup incubator. So, Woo-wee. yeah, we're big time. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk a little bit about what I've been doing. My focus lately has been on Angular Remote Comp. It's actually going to be this Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I also just launched the website for the Rails Remote Comp. I'm thinking about doing one for freelancers. I'm kind of tempted to actually see if Brennan would be interested in teaming up on that and then just doing like a double your freelancing summit that's an online summit, but I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, so yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And then um, I just picked up a retainer client. And I'm not super thrilled about it at this point because <laughs> it's hourly and they don't seem to quite completely know what they want. And then I've, I've picked up another client and I'm having the value conversation with them as well. 
but they're actually talking to their audience and things like that. And so they're kind of in flux right now as well. But yeah, I've got a few things going on. And then I took over a project for another friend of mine and I'm having that conversation with them as well, that value conversation. You know, what does this mean to you and stuff? But their product's already built. And at this point, you know, we're talking about solutions that will, you know, make them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so I'm, you know, I'm starting to figure out, okay, well, I can do that for this amount. And then you can make 10 times that and everybody's happy. So, (laughs) but yeah, it's really interesting to just, you know, all the things going on. Um, I also just renewed sponsorships for the, the shows. If you know anyone who wants to sponsor this show, I would appreciate the referral. And I'm actually kind of having that conversation with myself as far as I've been reading the book Essentialism. And so I've been looking at what I've been doing. And this show actually just barely breaks even. I know there are some products I could probably make for the the audience here that would uh, make money or do that summit or something like that. And then the other show that I have, iFreaks, actually doesn't even break even. And so I've been looking at that and thinking about, you know, whether or not I should continue to produce the shows. Now, I don't think these shows are going to go anywhere because I enjoy doing them, but it is something that I've been thinking about. And I've been looking at the other things that I do and deciding, you know, what to cut. So it's it's been really, really interesting just to, okay, so what are my options? You know, what would it have to do in order for it to be a slam dunk to keep? And then I start chasing things down. So I am talking to a few sponsors at this point that, you know, may make it worth it monetarily. But then I'm also looking at my time and what I'm spending my time on. And okay, how do I justify the time? Or is it worth my time? Anyway, so lots of things that I'm thinking about there. And I, I think back to the conversation of just changing your mindset. I think I think reading books is another way that you can get information that makes you at least consider where you're going and what you're doing. Absolutely. I just add one thing though, is try to get recommendations from people you trust because I have found that uh, not all books are good. And That's true. Sometimes, sometimes they can, can, not all the time, but occasionally they can confuse you more than not. So if you're reading a book, there's this sort of thing where, you know, as the author of several books, where I know that the reader imbues the author with this sort of like expert guru worldwide, you know, worldwide guru status on, you know, the person who wrote the book on X. And it does not mean that they're a hundred percent right, or they're talking exactly about your situation or that there isn't something about your situation that invalidates the information. So when you're reading a book, go into it with an open mind, but Mm -hmm. not too open. So some of like my business books that I just consider Bibles of solo consulting, like value-based fees by Alan Weiss. The thing I read it, like I've read it a million times. I read it every year and every year I get more out of it, but there's some things in there that do not work for me. And it took me a while to be like, you know what, this thing that I'm trying to implement is just not working for me. Maybe I'm not there yet or whatever it is, but there's something, I mean, this is probably my favorite book, like my number one book that if that hadn't been written, it would have had a huge negative impact on my life or I had, if I hadn't found it. But still, there's stuff in there that just does not work for me. So I sort of picked and choose, picked and chose, pick and choosing uh, <laughs> the things that work for me. And it's 90%, 80, 90% of that book is just like directly applicable to my business. But I was I'm a software developer, basically. And he's a management consultant. And, you know, I deal with a certain type of business up to a certain level and he, you know, he's on a different playing field. So there were certain things that I think work for him in his environment that just did not translate whatsoever to my world. So just, you know, keep an open mind, but also don't blindly accept everything that you read. Yeah, really, for me, the books that I read, they're there to kind of start that conversation in my head. Mm hmm. And so then it's, okay, 
these are kind of the principles that have been laid out, or these are the practices that they're advocating. And I have no problem trying out a particular practice for a few weeks or a few months if I, mm-hmm. you know, if I see that the merits have been explained well. But yeah, you know, you, you want to glean these ideas and then figure out which ones apply to your situation. Yes. So if you know someone who kind of does the same thing you do, and you are under the impression that they've leveled up from where you are, ask them which mm-hmm. books they should read. Yep. And presumably they'll say, yeah, I've read a ton of books on this. Uh, these three were just like hands down the best one, best ones yep. to read for somebody in your shoes. Yeah. The other thing is, is that one of the mastermind groups I'm in is actually run by a guy named Aaron Walker. And he he's a millionaire. Uh, he lives out in Nashville, uh, extremely uh, successful. Um, he's in a mastermind with Dave Ramsey. Lots of things going for him. And so when it comes down to business, you know, he has a lot of great ideas. And so a lot of the recommendations that he gives are things that have benefited me directly, you know, and so finding a mentor, finding somebody to pay attention to, you know, really works out. But yeah, some of the things he's told me to try, I've tried and they just don't work for my market or they don't work as well as they worked for his market. Mm -hmm. And so there are definite things there as far as the ability or payoff, but I mean, everything he's told me, you know, with very few exceptions has paid off. And so when he recommends a book about business or about life or about some of these different ideas, I take it on, you know, and so he did. He recommended essentialism. That's why I'm reading it, you know, and things like that. But yeah, you know, um, I've talked to other freelancers and gotten recommendations for other books. And typically, unless it comes from somebody that I just I almost trust implicitly, uh, I have to hear a recommendation for a book like two, three, four times. And then it's like, okay, I keep hearing about this from the people who are, you know, in the situation I'm in and seem to be, like Jonathan said, moving up. So this must be a part of what's making the difference. But for one person, a lot of times it's just, it may have blown their mind, but in some cases I've read those books and they just haven't worked out as, you know, great sources of information for me. So I usually wait till I've heard about it two or three times. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes you're not in the right place to read the book. You might not be ready for it or you might be past the point. Uh, Another thing that's happened to me, because in coaching, I have this reading list that I I say, everybody just, you start at the top of this list and keep reading to get to the bottom. And that was sort of, when I first started out doing that, it was a little bit naive because people come back with questions and I'll be like, oh, wow, I should have really told them why I want them to read a particular book because Mm -hmm. there are certain ones, you know, for example, The Brain Audit by Sean D'Souza, great book for writing sales pages. Sean, if you're listening, I love you. But a lot of people have complained that the book is got a choppy writing style. He does it on purpose, but it's a turnoff to some people. And I say to them, you know, just don't worry about that. Yeah, it's written. It's a strangely written book. But the information, if you can just look past that, it's almost like, you know, listening to somebody that has a strange speech pattern. But that person still can say something that rocks your world. So I'd be like, don't get caught up in the way he writes it. It's like a million headlines with, you know, one sentence paragraphs broken out. And but just look past that and just listen to what he's saying. Listen to the what's underneath it and do not mess with the formula. So the other books where I'll say, you know, do this, you know, pick and choose this particular book. It's like, don't mess with the formula. It's not for everything. It's for writing sales pages and having that little bit of background that it would have taken me 30 seconds to write down will totally change the way the person takes the book in. What's another one? 
there's just plenty of them like value-based fees. Like I said before, there's just certain things that are, I think really specific to working with. If you are directly working with a CEO or an extremely high level, you know, C-suite person in a fortune 500 company, it's not uncommon to need to be a little bit arrogant because you have to combat that ego almost always, but I'm not usually dealing with that. Probably anybody listening to the show is not dealing with that. So arrogance as a tool is not going to serve you well mm-hmm. at all. So playing the diva card is, it's not going to work. I'd yeah. love to know what's on your reading list. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I've got a link to it. I'll share it in the show notes. It's uh, expensiveproblem.com slash reading list, but we can put it in the show notes. All right, cool. That could be my pick. Oh, great books. Wow. I haven't read all of these. I should update the page with little, like I just said, little blurbs about why I think each one's important. Yeah. So we talked earlier about the uh, Double Your Freelancing Conference. And a bunch of people have written really good notes about how it went, kind of like a re- yeah, like recaps. Uh, Matt Inglot, Freelance Transformation, did a podcast about this kind of mindset of uh, professional consultants thing. So if you go to freelancetransformation.com, there's uh, the most recent episode is about three minutes on that. I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, another thing is if you go to my conference page for it at expensiveproblem.com slash DYFC, expensiveproblem.com slash DYFC, there's a link to download uh, my slides and uh, links to some other resources. Uh, my talk specifically was about the path to value-based fees. So it was kind of like uh, how hourly billing holds you back and hurts your business and then how value pricing works, including a little bit of talk about how to write a proposal for value pricing. And then finally, how uh, three ways to transition from hourly billing to value pricing in a sort of slow way so that you don't you know, screw up your whole business uh, in one go. Sometimes I feel like giving people a loaded gun when I talk about value pricing because it's, it's not something that you can just switch to overnight. It's very difficult to do that. Uh, so that's some good information. Um, also, Kurt Elster and Julie Clute from Just Tell Julie. Uh, so KurtElster.com and Julie Clute at JustTellJulie.com. They both did good recaps of the, the conference. Yeah, and there's probably some other, and, and on each one of their pages, there's a ton of resources to other links. Uh, who else? Kai Davis, KaiDavis.com. He did a, a recap as well that just has tons and tons of notes on each of the talks. So if you, you know, can't afford to buy the videos or you don't have time to consume that much video content or you don't want to wait until the videos are available, then you can access any one of these pages and get tons of, you know, it's not as good as being there, but you're going to get most, if not all of the information that was shared at the conference. So if if we can't put all those, I'll try and get all those in the show notes, but you can also tweet me at jonathanstark.com and I can give you a few of those links if you're interested. Actually, I can go over to expensiveproblem.com and my top three books that I think all freelancers should read. Uh, first is The Positioning Manual by Philip Morgan. We've had him on the show before. And The Positioning Manual is just the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, the Bible of how to position your freelance business to attract crazy amounts of customers. Uh, so as he says in the book, the smaller your focus is, the bigger it gets. Focusing down and being a specialist is, is the most amazing thing you can do for your business. Another excellent book, I'm sure we've talked about it on the show before, is Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port. We actually had him on the show to talk about the book. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah, he just released a new thing and he's crushing it. Uh, He just released a new series of materials, books, training classes, podcasts on uh, Steal the Show. And it's about how to do amazing public performances. So whether it's 
whether it's a talk at a conference or a job interview or whatever else, or a pitch meeting for venture capital. He explains how to just create a performance instead of just delivering a talk. And he's just, I'm super impressed with this guy. He is great. Was he, I assume he was good on the show. Oh, he was excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that we get a link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. And then the, my third one is value-based fees, which we've already talked about at length, but absolutely everybody should read that. Yep. We've talked several times about value-based pricing, but it just makes a lot of sense. And then everybody gets what they want. So, yeah. Yeah. I did the, one of the, the quotes from my talk that seemed to get a lot of retweets was that, you know, a lot of people, when I tell them how value-based pricing works, they say, oh, but you're just making that up. And I'm like, you just made up your hourly rate and you just made up that estimate of how many hours it's going to take you. Everybody's just making it up. Yeah. The difference is when you do value pricing, the client is making up the number instead of you making up the number and it changes everything. Yep. I think you spent a few hundred dollars of my money on these books. <laughs> I own a few of them, but it's good stuff. Yeah. When I have new ones, I swap them out. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, while I am purchasing the positioning manual, I'll go ahead and throw a few picks out there. One of the picks that I have is Crowdcast. Uh, that's what we're using for this Q&A. It's also what we're using for Angular Remote Conf. It is super awesome. So I'm really digging it. It's just, I, I really, really like it. So anyway, I'm going to throw that out there. And then I'm also looking at putting up a page um, with some uh, productized consulting as far as setting up remote conferences for other folks. So if you're interested in that, send me an email, chuck at devchat.tv, and uh, I'll get you some information. I don't have the website up yet. I'm just kind of putting it out there to see what people are looking at. But anyway, those are my picks. I'm also really loving my Pebble time. Nice. Yep. So got mine last week too. Yeah, I think I mentioned it on the show last time, but I am—I just love the fact that I can just leave my phone somewhere. I went downstairs to take care of my kids with something or other, and it was really interesting. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, it kept beeping me. Oh, somebody's trying to reach me on Skype. Oh, you know, this, oh, that. And yeah, I just love the thing. Yeah, that's great. Yep. I want to get the Apple Watch and see how it compares at this point. But... Don't, don't. No. No? No. I have them both. And what, what's your opinion now? I want to know. It's not worth the money. It's just not worth it. Like, this is a, we're going to spawn a whole new show and a bunch of haters, but... That's fine. It's expensive. It's too expensive. It's Yes, it's beautiful hardware. By far the mm -hmm. nicest hardware, no doubt. I'm, I'm wearing one right now, as a matter of fact. Uh -huh. It's really nice. And it's not as good as, say, Galaxy Gear or the Samsung Gear Live, which is an Android Wear watch. Um, mm -hmm for any of the actual interactions, all the software stuff, just not even close. The okay. Google stuff is way better than the Siri stuff. Yes. All the animations are prettier. The haptics are way better on the Apple watch so that the sort of tap on the wrist is amazing, but everything's kind of slow. The battery life is atrocious, uh, which is a major problem if you ask me. And it's just really, you know, you hold it up to look at it. I just held it up to look at it and it didn't come on. You know, the screen's not always on because the battery life's are already mm -hmm. atrocious. So they try to keep the screen off all the time. So then it doesn't come on when you need it. So then you're like, you know, trying to, you're trying to shake your hand or you have like tap it with your nose because your other hand's full. <laughs> Another thing is that it's too nice for me to wear to the gym. I'm not wearing this watch to the gym. 
not going to get sweaty. I'm not going to go running outside and have like suntan lotion slathered or sunblock slathered all over it. It's a nice watch. So you're not going to use it for a bunch of the fitness stuff that it's supposedly for. I, I mean, I could go on and on, but mm-hmm. the deal breaker for me is the cost to battery life ratio. Yeah, It does absolutely nothing that Android Wear doesn't do for half the price better. So I would definitely go, if you're going to get one, I would go with the Asus Zen Watch, which is probably the best looking of the Android Wear options, in my opinion, or Pebble Steel, which does far less. Pebble Steel, Pebble Steel Time, or Pebble Time, Pebble Time Steel, they do far less than either of the smart smartwatches, mm-hmm. but they last for like seven to 10 days on a single charge. Yeah. And they do all of the really key things that you want them to do. The only thing it doesn't do that I wish it did do, and I was hoping it would do it, because, or maybe it will do it, because it does have a microphone, the new one, is that you can't say, like like I can on my, on my Android watch, say, okay, Google, remind me to send my taxes tomorrow at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really just as easy like that. You don't have to wait. You can just say it just like I just said it. It probably just, it probably just recorded it on my watch over there. <laughs> but you can, you can I'm riding my bike a lot and being able to just you know talk to my watch and set a reminder for myself or set an alarm or a timer is I'm really missing that on the Pebble. I really wish they would add that. So we'll see. It has a microphone, so maybe they can do it. Yeah. I I can't imagine why they wouldn't be able to do that because it's Bluetooth, right? And Mm -hmm. I I have a headset that's Bluetooth that has a microphone in it. And so I just hit the button and then and then Mm -hmm. I can talk to it. So I don't know why it wouldn't be able to, you know, activate the microphone on my watch and then, Mm -hmm. you know, have some mechanism for sending the Siri do this or whatever. Right. Oh, that reminds me, speaking of which, the both Android Wear watches and the Pebble uh, work with any kind of iOS or Android phone. Oh, really? Yeah, and, that, and the Apple Watch obviously only works with Apple products. So if you're, if so, dear listener, if you have an Android phone, in my humble opinion, your two options are Pebble Time or Pebble Time Steel and one of the Android Wear watches. And again, I would recommend the Zen Watch from Asus. I've seen it in person. And I was like, dude, what kind of watch is that? It's so awesome. <laughs> but my favorite thing in the whole world is when someone comes up to me and asks me if my $100 watch is an, is a, uh, is an Apple watch. And I say, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> my Apple watch was like 550 bucks, which is a joke. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. So the other question I have, I know this is completely off topic, but that's fine. Um, the other question I have is, so the Asus smartwatch, do you okay Google or do you, hey Siri it? You okay Google it. So it connects to, you know what? I haven't attached my, not all of the Android Wear watches are compatible yet with iOS, but there's an Android Wear app for iOS. And I'm almost positive, but you should check. I'm almost positive the new Zen watches do work are one of the ones that do work. Like all the watches that are going to come out this year for Android Wear are going to be compatible. And there's some weird reason why the older ones aren't, but I can't remember what it was. So you would say, okay, Google still. Okay, so it just, instead of sending off to Siri services, it sends off to Google services. To Google app on your watch, yep. Oh, okay. So you can use OK Google with Google Now. Like, there's, a, there's an app for iOS just called Google that you can use as, like, it's kind of like Android on your iOS. Huh. So if you're, if you're a big Gmail person and you use a lot of Google services, Google, by far, I think, has the best voice recognition of all of them. So it's amazingly convenient to be able to say, you know, okay, Google, remind me to send my taxes tomorrow at three. But if it 
doesn't recognize it. I, I've had, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my voice or something, but Siri just does not work for me on the watch. It is always doing the wrong thing. You know, I, I say always. Uh-huh. It's, it's about about 35% of the time it does the wrong thing. And then I'm just like, then I just want to smash it because I have to take up my phone anyway. And, you know, heaven forbid if someone was watching me and I was trying to be cool or trying to demo it for someone, be like, look how cool this Apple Watch is. And then it fails. And then you're like, I feel like a tool because I just spent 550 bucks on this watch that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, we did an episode on iFreaks with Neil Ford. And he was giving us a whole bunch of tips for actually training Siri so that she, he or she gets, because you can switch the voice, right? Gets better at... Like getting you. Yeah. So basically what you do is on your phone, after you've told Siri to do something, you tap the screen once and then you can actually type in what you really said and and then it sends that back and then you know it gets better at recognizing what you're saying i mean that makes sense but you know, yeah it's got to be a hassle with right you don't have to do that with i have great experience with with google i send yeah. i text people with it all the time just text just say like okay google text erica that i'm going to be home in five minutes and then you see it go blah, 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 and it types it out and then it gives you like three seconds to cancel it if it got it wrong but it almost never does yeah i'm having minor buyer's remorse now. I'm still super happy with the Pebble Time Steel, but yeah, the Zen watch, the Asus Zen watch is it's $100 less than I than I spent to back the Kickstarter campaign. And if it works with the iPhone then double check because there's it's certain models do and certain models don't. Eventually all the new ones will, but I'm not sure. Yeah. That one's that one's very new, so but anyway, I'm I'm really curious. I'm kind of tempted to buy, you know, a couple of, well, at least one of each kind and then, you know, kind of figure out, okay, you know, how, how do you make your stuff work on the Apple Watch or the whatever watch right. and does it make sense? Yeah, I mean, just ask me because I've got like eight of them hanging right over here on my <laughs> dresser. Oh, nice. I bought them all for a while. And I mean, you don't feel too bad about the Pebble. It's, it's definitely the second best, if not the best. You know? I'm seriously happy with it. I, I could have spent less money and gotten the voice feature is the only thing that I'm seeing. That, But you'd have to charge it every single night. Oh, <laughs> that's true. And and yeah, with the Pebble, I mean, I've been wearing it since... When did I charge it? Friday? Thursday or Friday? Yeah, you never think about it. And it's it's like half. It's halfway. So Yeah. With the Pebble, I, every once in a while, maybe I'll throw it on the charger while I'm in the shower. If I think of it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Can, I can go on a trip. Like, I, you know, if I'm traveling, I brought both my, uh, I just went on a four-day trip, brought my Android watch because the watches are super useful when you're traveling, smart watches, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you've got like TripIt or something installed or you're getting updated notifications from your airline, you know, I use United all the time. They've got a pretty good app and it's just like, boop, right in your wrist, like, oh, gate change to whatever, or boop, you've got an yeah. hour to make your connection or boop, whatever. Uh, flight is on time or you just landed and you've got, you know, you, you're at gate this, you need to go to gate that. It's so great having that right in your wrist and I have to keep pulling out your phone. So it was great because I had the uh, the Samsung watch gear live was good, but I forgot to bring the charger. So it was dead after a day and useless. And there's no place to buy a Samsung charger anywhere. So uh, SOL, but I might pebble time. That lasted the whole trip. No problem. I didn't even, it was still at 50% when I came back and it had been vibrating like crazy for five days. Yeah, so my take, and then we'll probably wrap up because <laughs> we've been talking about this for about 10 minutes longer than this call was supposed to go, but just looking at the 
the watches. I mean, I was just looking at the Apple Watch and the Pebble Time. I definitely like the battery life. And it's it's I guess it's color e ink is what they use mm-hmm. on here, and it's an LCD or something or LED screen right. on the Apple Watch, which is why it sucks so much power. And it's a touchscreen, and the, the yeah. Pebble's not. Yeah, the thing that I like about the Apple Watch is basically that um, it seems like a lot more apps are going to be integrating with it than with the Pebble. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's true. But uh, the flip side is is that I think the most interesting and useful feature of a smartwatch is the notifications, which the Pebble time does just fine. Mm-hmm. I just had to go and turn it off on my phone. Don't give me notifications about this. Cause those are the same ones I get on my watch. And I know that on the Apple watch, you can turn them off just for the watch. Mm. But the other thing was, was that I would love to have a fitness tracker in my smartwatch. And that's the other thing that I think the Apple watch is really interesting for. Yeah. If you don't mind ruining your 500, $600 watch, that's the problem. Like I don't get it. I don't know who that watch is for. It's too nice to have all those fitness features in it. Like other than straight up step tracking, I'm not wearing that thing to the gym. I'm not going swimming with it. That's true. You know? So yeah. uh, The last thing I'll say in, uh, in sort of compliment the pebble is that any garden variety web developer can program apps for it. No problem. Yep. It's really easy to hack. You can put stuff on it easily with just, just with JavaScript. And if you want to go nuts, you can write some C code, which looks a lot like JavaScript, although it's a little bit, little trickier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can go to, um, I think if you Google for, uh, I did an O'Reilly talk about how to build an app for 10 different platforms in one hour and included Pebble as one of the platforms. There's something called pebble.js that people should look for if they're interested in hacking apps into a smartphone. It's pretty sweet. So yeah, it's amazing. Pebble is really cool. I know this guy that has a JavaScript podcast that might be interested in getting somebody on to talk about that. Mm. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up since we're completely <laughs> off topic and over time. Off topic, yep. Thanks for the folks who will watch this. And uh, All right, thanks, Chuck. Yep. Catch you later. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. Would you like to join the conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 